I prefer to do bargaining in person. Having your proposal on a piece of paper and sliding it across the table to the other side and watching them react to it, as opposed to going, okay, I just sent it to you in your email. It's just a different dynamic. I'm Candace Bach, Government Relations Director with the Association of Washington Cities. And today we are hosting a conversation with two of our um, friends in the labor community, uh, representatives from AFSCME Council 2. And we're really happy to have them share their, some of their perspective and they've agreed to, to respond to some questions that we have for them and uh, share with everyone uh, some of those important labor perspectives that can be really helpful in building a strong relationship. So we're joined today by uh, Michael Rainey and Suzette Dickerson. And um, I would like to start by just asking both of you to take a moment to introduce yourself and um, share a little bit about your background and what type of employees your union represents. My name is Suzette Dickerson and I am the King County Staff Representative for Council 2. Uh, my membership is comprised of members across King County, so I represent members from the following organizations. Um, adult and Juvenile Detention, District Court, Superior Court, uh, Public Health, the Medical Examiner's Office, Industrial Waste, Facilities Maintenance, and then I have two water and sewer districts, and also my largest uh, contract would be the King County Library System. Wow, that's a lot of diversity. Yes. My name is Michael Rainey. I am uh, recently appointed as President and Executive Director of AFSCME Council 2, the Washington State Council of County and City Employees. Um, I've been serving as a staff representative here since 2016, and I cover, I have a few small groups in King County, but I mostly represent cities. City of SeaTac, City of Issaquah, City of Sammamish, City of Everett. Um, I was working with the City of Puyallup, City of Ording, City of Mercer Island. Um, mostly cities and a few small groups at King County there. That's great. Again, uh, some diversity there and congratulations on your election as president. Thank you. Um, well, again, thank you very much, Suzette and Michael, for joining us today. There's always a little bit of um, push-pull in the, the management-labor relationship. And so let's start out with maybe um, what I hope is kind of a fun question, but what... Um, uh, what do you wish management knew or better understood about working with unions? One of the things that I think that management should uh, really understand is that working with unions doesn't have to be adversarial because when we are actually partnering and collaborating, we can actually get more work done and address any issues at the lowest level. Yeah, I agree with Suzette there. I think um, a lot of times when I'm working with different employers, it's about building those relationships and uh, understanding that we're problem solvers, right? We find collaborative ways to solve problems, whether we're negotiating wages or benefits or we're dealing with a discipline issue, something that's going on between the employer and the employees, we're trying to solve the problems. And so knowing that those relationships are there and that we're you know, working together for, for, the, for the same end goal is providing the best services to the public, knowing that that's, you know, we're, we're collaborators in that, that I think is important. So true. Um, I think communication, good communication, frequent communication and, and building that relationship is so important. Um, and, and often the goals are are the same at the end of the day. Good staff doing good work for our communities. Kind of along maybe those lines and, and 
part of that, you know, frank communication. Can you fill in the blank on the, the phrase, I really hate it when the management bargaining team blank? What's your pet peeve? Mine right now, since I'm currently bargaining, the, the biggest one that I would have is um, when the management bargaining team withholds important data because then it can prolong us getting to the, you know, getting to a deal. I think that it's important to put that information up front so that uh, we have we can make an informative decision in regards to what our proposals are going to be. That's a good one. And, and of course, it goes to the fact that they, there is an employer obligation to provide uh, records when they're requested. It's a good education reminder. Michael, what, fills, what, what would you fill in that blank with? I really hate it when the management bargaining team doesn't come to the table with the authority to bargain. If we make a proposal and we want to discuss something, we, we, we do our homework, we're prepared. When we come to the table with a proposal, we can justify that proposal. We can explain why it's valid and why we want what we're asking for. And then to do that and have the bargaining team have to go back and get permission or go to some other higher power, that is very frustrating because you know time is one of the most valuable assets we have. And if we're spending time presenting this to people who don't have the authority to negotiate it, it's extremely frustrating. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point, Michael. Um, these take so long and um, so hard to schedule. Usually everybody's got such busy schedules. So to bring the whole team together, um, I, I can appreciate both of those, those pet peeves and good things for our uh, city folks to hear. Sort of um, maybe just a little bit of flipping the, the conversation a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit for, you know, what, what management should know for you? What's the most challenging aspect of working with your own membership? And is there, are there things management can do to help you work with your membership? For me, it's um, having our membership understand the constraints of what the union can and cannot do. As far as what management can help with, I would say it, it would be engaging employees in a way to create um, a safe space for them so that they can bring more innovation and imagination to the workplace because it's important for employees to feel valued and to be able to put their trust in their management team. That's great. Yeah. And we've, we've lived through a lot of upheaval the last couple of years. So even more important to understand how to, to communicate that value and flexibility. Mm -hmm. Michael, what are your thoughts about um, your role working with your, your membership and, and how management can help? You know, I, I have to echo what Suzette said, because I think it, it really, it can be fresh. The challenging aspect of working with our members sometimes can be, they don't always know what is a union related issue or what, what we can or can't help with. But that's probably more, I think more of a, uh, an educational issue on our side, more than expecting management to help with that. And what can management do to help work with your membership? I don't really have the answer to that yet. It's, a, it's sort of a broad question, and I think one of the, you know, everything we do is relational. And so every employer, every every HR department, every labor relations person that we work with, we sort of have different relationships and how we communicate. So it's sort of, I can't give a broad answer to that. I'm sorry. No, that's fair. And it's kind of a tricky arena. Um, obviously, you know, there's an important um, aspect of not creating interference um, and 
that uh, while you want to have that good relationship, you need to, to be careful of what's the appropriate role for, for both the employer side and for the, the union side. So uh, earlier, I, I, I know one of you mentioned and talking about the value of communication and, and relationship, um, you know, that that comes up in grievance issues as well. And discipline and grievance cases can be some of the more challenging areas of labor, labor management relations. I think we, we spend a lot of time focused on bargaining, but it always seemed to me that those discipline cases were, were where that really came into play. What would you like to see from management and how they handle discipline situations? For me, it would be for them to really look at what the discipline is supposed to do. We have progressive discipline for a reason, and that's to correct the behaviors of the individual. It's not supposed to be something that is deemed to be severely detrimental and and have a a detrimental impact to, to the individual. It's supposed to be something that is used to as a corrective tool. So I would say that when issuing discipline, there needs to be um, follow-up with the individual and that there needs to be the proper tools put in place uh, that would be necessary for uh, that individual to then succeed. Um, and understanding that there may be other factors that may be driving their behavior so getting to the root, the root of the issue can actually present where management could possibly even put in other support, uh, support systems for them. Thanks, Suzette. Michael, and any perspective you want to share? I definitely agree with Suzette. I think one of the biggest challenges we face when it comes to discipline grievances or discipline issues is that the goal of discipline is to be corrective, not punitive. And in many cases, we find that, you know, the punishment doesn't fit the crime or that the, the, the tenets of just cause weren't really adhered to that, the, you know, the uh, there wasn't a fair investigation or was it a rule that was sort of understood by everyone? Those those are always seems to be the, the heart of everything. And I guess in most cases, and this is something we deal with in just about every union contract, is that management reserves a right to sort of discipline to skip steps based on the offense. And I think more and more, the biggest problems we have is when management uses that discretion to go to higher levels of discipline without really showing why, without really, you know, they just say, well, it's our discretion and we think this is worthy of this without sort of building that case or showing the history or showing showing sort of how they got to that decision. Thanks for that. I, I really appreciate that perspective about the corrective versus punitive. And it, I know in in some of the training we do, we're really trying to emphasize also the, the making the case, the documentation, the, you know, discipline is always one of the hardest things because people generally don't like to deal with confrontation and, and then they finally do. And then maybe don't handle it well and don't have the, haven't done the, the work to, to back up that corrective action, as you say. So appreciate those insights. Kind of going back to the, um, you know, back to bargaining, because again, that's where we spend a lot of time talking about um, about things. Um, what would you say are some of the current and upcoming trends and issues that the public that public sector labor unions will be pursuing at the bargaining table? You know, we have the normal things like the cost of living increases, wage increases, but I would say that one of the up and coming trends is doing things through a diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, lens. So, um, and that 
shows up by way of um, the language within the contract and, and uh, really looking at it. Another big one right now for us is uh, safety and security in the workplace. And then um, things like wage progression or like after hour support. I, I agree with Suzette. Um, some of the, those, those are some very important issues. You know, we've been facing these a lot in the last few years. Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion is very important, um, particularly in uh, public sector work. Sort of been a lot of long, long held patterns for sort of hiring processes and things like that that need to be shaken up and, and looked at more sort of holistically. Um, but some of the other trends that I think, I think, you know, we look at sort of the current the, the current state of the economy. Uh, the inflation and, you know, the first thing, every time we go out for bargaining, we do a contract survey for our members. And the number one answer is always wages. And the number two answer is always benefits, right? And so with the with the state of the economy and sort of everything we're dealing with with inflation right now, we obviously want to be, receive competitive wages for our members, but we also know that the ability to pay comes becomes a problem. And then it also becomes a bit of an arms race. Throughout the pandemic and sort of the great resignation, as we've been calling it, filling positions is difficult and it becomes harder and harder for, for local jurisdictions, smaller cities to sort of compete for employees. And so I think some of the trends that we need to start looking at outside of wages is how does an employer become competitive? How do we recruit and retain quality employees? And you need to start looking at some things like working conditions or sort of how employees are valued, whether it be flex time or teleworking options. I mean, teleworking is a huge thing now that, you know, two years ago was just slightly on some people's radar. And we've learned by force of nature that we've had to adapt and adjust to this and still be productive at, as local jurisdictions. So I think some of those are going to be the big trends going into bargaining in the future, probably teleworking and finding ways to value employees that doesn't impact the bottom line is probably going to be where we're going to have to be most creative because there's only so much money. So, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that as a union rep, but. It's so real though. I mean, when you're dealing with inflation and, and rates that we're seeing right now, it would seem hard to really have um, a, a real conversation about what's the right CPI for this contract this year, let alone in the next two years, um, if you're trying to come up with a three-year contract. So, you know, so ability to pay really, kind of has to factor in there, but but also really appreciate your comments about the flexibility and the value and, and the other maybe more creative ways, because I know we're all struggling to, to fill vacant positions right now, and that has an impact on employees. They're, they're easily overworked and overwhelmed when they don't have um, enough staff to, to do the job that's being asked. I'm going to... Um, ask you if, if they're kind of along that same lines um, with trends, Is are there some differences that you notice um, between representing members in different regions of the state? I mean, I only represent folks here on the west side, um, so I can only really speak to, to theirs. Um, and I think that it really... I don't, I mean, I guess there is differences between the east side and the west side, but I think it's more, it really differs dependent upon the organization because um, they have different needs, you know, wants and needs. And so for my groups, of course, it's wage increases or step progression, things like comp time or ad pays. We're really working on security measures and, you know, 
things that are going to help not only with their pay, but also their environment. That's really interesting on the security measures, obviously really front and center these days. Mm-hmm. I think um, for us as a statewide organization, it is a little different and it's always been different. I know my bosses, when I first came to work here, would talk about uh, the imaginary, ca- imaginary cascade curtain sort mm-hmm. of divided the east side and the west side. And I would mm-hmm. think with, with the way sort of politics have become so partisan and so divided now, it really has sort of exacerbated that situation. Um, I think, but if we're just strictly talking about sort of representing different regions in the state, I think, you know, representing groups on the west side here, like the city of Everett or the city of Issaquah, you know, they're sort of in this region. And so when we're looking at wages and we're looking at working conditions, there's there's this sort of other group of areas that we look at. And we go over to like the city of Yakima, which is sort of, the big city in that area surrounded by smaller so it's the wants and the needs do become different based on sort of where you know sort of the geographical location and sort of the cultural differences and yeah and it it can be a challenge and it's definitely something we're aware of as an organization who represents members all around the state thanks for that that perspective um it's easy for the folks on the west side to forget that things may look a little different on the east side or even north south and and certainly small and large yep you know we've throughout our conversation today uh, obviously the pandemic has sort of colors everything and and we we talk about things that have really changed as a result um how has the pandemic changed how your union engages in bargaining and are there lessons about bargaining with uh, public sector employers during the pandemic that you think will be carried forward? So for me, I think that, yes, the pandemic has changed the way that we engage. And so a lot of my groups, we are doing like all of our meetings and our bargaining through um, Teams or through Zoom. And so we really, um, and one of the things that we really had to look at is the traumatic impacts that the that the pandemic has had on folks. And so, and then we had to also reimagine what things would look like post pandemic. Uh, Cause we know that it's not going to be exactly the same as it was prior to the pandemic. So um, really reimagining what that looks like and by way of like things like telecommuting or even um, looking at, is there, are we going to institute some kind of premium pay uh, for emergent issues. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest impact, obviously, the pandemic has had on how we engage in bargaining is really sort of these remote meetings like we're doing right here, right now. Um, and if, if you would have asked me three years ago, could I do my work? Could I do what I do professionally through these sort of remote meetings? And I would have said absolutely not. Because, you know, when you're negotiating, when you're communicating, when you're trying to connect and you're trying to convince someone that you're right, being in that room, being able to sort of look them in the eye and read their body language and all of that sort of those aspects of what we do was important. You know, they say 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? So being able to connect with people in the room was there. Um, that has, said, but but we've been forced to adapt and change. And I think I think it's okay. It's, it's different. I prefer being in the room. Um, there was something um, visceral, I don't know, visceral maybe about, having your proposal on a piece of paper and sliding it across the table to the other side and watching them react to it, as opposed to going, okay, I just sent it to you in your email. 
it's just sort of it's 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 a different dynamic and you know i'm a, I'm a little bit older than suzette and i've been doing it a little bit longer and there were certain certain parts of the job that i really enjoyed and that 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 connection and and it really i mean whether it's whether we're working with members or bargaining with an employer there's a connection there right connecting with each other and sort of communicating in a way and whether we agree or disagree having those human connections in real life uh, i i miss that and you know we've adapted and we're fighting to get there so i think you know that's really changed things um the same same goes for not being able to do paper paper proposals written proposals and sliding paper across the table i'm sure we're helping the environment because you know we're not not, not as much paper use and not as much there so um it's definitely it's been an adjustment do you think you'll go back to more in-person meetings or a mix um as going forward as you know, fingers crossed the pandemic wanes and, and we are able to move in or, you know, we've started moving into more in-person things again. Um, we talked about the challenges of scheduling already. I mean, just Zoom is certainly is more efficient scheduling wise than, than for you folks in particular having to travel around. Um, but as you know, there's something that you miss by not grabbing a cup of coffee and eating cookies on the side of the bargaining room for a few minutes during a break. It's really hard to do a sidebar, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I and, and Suzette's experience may be a little different because they're doing things differently with King County proper. But I, my vision of the future is really sort of a hybrid mix. I think you know I personally and most of my bargaining team prefer to do bargaining in person as much as possible. But some of the other like labor management meetings, maybe some grievance meetings, finding ways to sort of do some things hybrid, some things in person, um, a little bit of both, because it is, we've definitely created some efficiencies going with remote. And so I think that, you know, we have learned that. And I think there's a definitely an upside to that. Well, thank you both for kind of sharing these insights. I think it's so valuable. Um, you know, for the employer side to particularly like have the opportunity to pull back the curtain. What are those labor folks really thinking about? And I mean, you know, I think from this conversation, it's all, it's all very, it's, it's not much of a secret. It's all very same. A lot of the same goals and perspectives on things. Um, so any kind of closing thoughts you'd like to share any, any last things um, you would want to share with your, your counterparts on the, on the employer side? I think for me, um, it would be that working together really helps everyone. Trying to get to a place of good understanding and a foundation while assuming um, the best intent will get us a long way. So just being cognizant of uh, what we do and what we say and really trying to build that relationship so that we can work together. I concur with Suzette and I think she said this when we began as well. It really is a partnership. I think we have an equal stake in, in, in a shared outcome. You know, we talk about interest-based bargaining a lot, right? And so what are the shared interests we have? You know, the employer wants to have a happy workforce, an engaged workforce, an efficient workforce. We want to have employees that are, that are, that are happy, that feel valued and respected so they can perform better. Um, at the end, you know, we focus on the things we do have in common that help us get to the end goal. Well, thank you both again so much for taking the time to, to share these thoughts, sharing these insights. We really appreciate it. I um, think it's a really valuable service for, for everyone, um, the employer and um, our employees uh, out there in the, the city and, and public sector. They do amazing work uh, serving our communities and, and the more we're working together, the, the better it should be for everyone. 
for our audience. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the City Voice podcast. Michael and Suzette, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you.